Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Welcome to the BlackBerry second quarter fiscal year 2022 results conference call. My name is Ashley and I will be your conference moderator for today's call. During the presentation, all participants will be in a listen-only mode. We will be facilitating a brief question and answer session towards the end of the conference. Should you need assistance during the call, please signal a conference specialist by pressing star zero. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded for replay purposes. I would now like to turn today's call over to Tim Foote, BlackBerry Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Ashley. Good afternoon and welcome to BlackBerry's second quarter fiscal 2022 earnings conference call. With me on the call today are Executive Chair and Chief Executive Officer John Chen, and Chief Financial Officer Steve Ray. After I read our cautionary note regarding forward-looking statements, John will provide a business update. Steve will review the financial results. We will then open the call for a brief Q&A session. This call is available to the general public via call-in numbers and via webcast in the investor information section at blackberry.com. A replay will also be available on the blackberry.com website. Some of the statements we'll be making today constitute forward-looking statements and are made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of applicable US and Canadian securities laws. We'll indicate forward-looking statements by using words such as expect, will, should, model, intend, believe, and similar expressions. Forward-looking statements are based on estimates and assumptions made by the company in light of its experience and its perception of historical trends, current conditions and expected future developments, as well as other factors that the company believes are relevant. Many factors could cause the company's actual results or performance to differ materially from those expressed or implied by the forward-looking statements. These factors include the risk factors that are discussed in the company's annual filings and MD&A including the COVID-19 pandemic. You should not place undue reliance on the company's forward-looking statements. The company has no intention and undertakes no obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements, except as required by law. As is customary during the call, John and Steve will reference non-GAAP numbers in their summary of our quarterly results. For reconciliation between our GAAP and non-GAAP numbers, Please see the earnings press release published earlier today, which is available on the Edgar, Peter, and BlackBerry.com websites. And with that, I'll turn the call over to John. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Tim. Good afternoon, everybody, and thanks for joining the call today. Um, one correction. Um, I think all the number, all the revenue number we use will be gap-based, correct? Yes. Right. So when you say non-gap numbers, it's actually... Um, the, the, the revenue number we refer to are all gap-based numbers. Okay, um, <clears throat> starting with our headlines, 
this quarter, the business performed well with revenue for all the free business segments uh, beating expectations. The cybersecurity business unit delivered strong sequential billings and revenue growth. The IoT business unit performed better than expected with strong design-related activities, partially offset, offsetting the impact of the global chip shortage on production royalties. Licensing revenue reflects the restriction on monetization activity from the ongoing patent sale negotiations, which I'll talk about more in detail shortly. Licensing and other revenue came in slightly stronger than expected. This quarter, BlackBerry generated positive operating cash flow. Following the strengthening of our IoT leadership team in Q1, we have appointed John Gio Matteo to lead our cybersecurity business unit beginning uh, or commencing November, uh, October 4th, sorry, commencing October 4th, which is a couple of weeks from now. Uh, John was previously the McAfee president and chief revenue officer running the enterprise and consumer cybersecurity businesses. This new appointment completes the refocus of our software business into two business units. I'll cover this in more detail later. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll start my review with the IoT business unit. Revenue came in at $40 million, which is better than expected, primarily due to ongoing strength in the design activities area. Gross margin remains strong at 83%. IoT AR increased to $89 million. As you are all aware, the auto industry experienced some significant headwinds in Q2 due to the global, the global semiconductor chip shortage. This impact production volume, particularly in North America, Ford, for instance, a major customer of ours, reported 700,000 lost units of production in calendar Q2. Production-based royalty are historically the largest single component of our QNX revenue. However, a significant portion of revenue is also generated from design activities prior to the vehicle entering production. This part of the business remains very vibrant and we continue to generate strong development seat and professional services revenues. As a result, total IoT revenue in a quarter was better than expected. Furthermore, these design wins will translate into future production-based royalties. As we look ahead to the rest of the year, we continue to see the headwind for vehicle production. The problem is to have shifted from surprise of wafers to more of a back-end assembly and testing issues largely due to spike in COVID cases in Asia, as well as some of the, um, the, the accidents going on in Asia, uh, some of the plants have fired, for example. Feedback from OEM about the impact on production volumes in the second half is somewhat mixed and constantly evolving. For example, Daimler recently indicated they are expecting a lessening impact by Q4. Excuse <coughs> me, <coughs> sorry. But Volkswagen, on the other hand, see challenges persisting into 2023. In terms of outlook, we continue to see the, part, the past quarter as the low point, but significant uh, headwinds are expected to continue into Q4 and Q3 and Q4, and perhaps even beyond that, albeit with a sequentially decreasing impact. The impact of the chip shortage on QNX royalty revenue is expected to be buffered somewhat by ongoing strength in design activities. We are comfortable with the current IoT revenue consensus, meaning the full year revenue outlook remains unchanged. As mentioned, despite the supply chain issue, QNX continue, QNX continue to win new design at a very solid pace. In the quarter, we had 23 new design wins, with seven in auto, 
and 16 in the general embedded market. We call it GEM. Because of our market presence and leader, leading technology, we are the trusted go-to supplier and market leader in auto. Furthermore, we're delighted to announce that we now have design wins with 24 of the world's top 25 electric vehicle automakers as measured by volume. Having been selected most recently by Daimler as part of their design, that is, as part of their EV design. <clears throat> this is up from the 23 of 25 we had last quarter. These 24 OEMs between them represent 82% of global EV market, uh, production, sorry. 82% of global EV production. This, this demonstrates the leading position we have in this very fast-growing part of the auto industry. I'd like to expand on a couple of design wins to get investor more colors as to why QNX was chosen and why we are the industry leader. The first is with an automotive tier one that is building full digital cockpit and gateway solution for a Chinese EV OEM using the QNX real-time operating system and hypervisor. QNX technology is well-known and trusted in China, in the Chinese automotive industry, given its reputation for safety and security. QNX was chosen about software solution from both domestic and multinational and as well as multinational competitors. Production is expected in 2022, which is next year, and run for around five years. The second is with a leading Japanese industrial robotics manufacturer. That also happened to be a new logo to a BlackBerry. The customers select QNX for an autonomous 3D robot, robot warehousing system ahead of the leading competitors. QNX was chosen for its functional safety credentials. Production is expected to start this year and continue for five years. Other notable design wins this quarter in auto included instrument cluster and ADAR systems. In a GEM space, design wins including medical diagnostic, industrial process control, and a thermal control system for a power plant. I'm going to shift it to Jarvis. During the quarter, we launched Jarvis 2.0. This is a SaaS version of our software composition and analytics tool, which was previously offered as a bespoke service engagement. Jarvis 2.0, which includes a market-leading binary code scanner, is an, in, is an important part of how BlackBerry can assist customers to achieve compliance with the recent SBOM executive order, secure, uh, secure bill of material, software bill of materials, sorry, software bill of materials, executive orders, mandated by the Biden administration. Moving to a brief update on Ivy, <clears throat> we are pleased with the ongoing progress being made. Both BlackBerry and AWS has, has significant resources allocated to the project, and our timelines remains on track. We are on schedule to release an early access version of the production in October in the product, sorry. We are, we are scheduled to release an early access version of the product in October that will enable further engagement with OEMs and will also allow demonstration at CES in January. This version will be available to certain ecosystem partners to begin actively building applications on Ivy. And speaking of applications, for Ivy to be embraced by automakers, we recognize that it is important to demonstrate Ivy value to them. Following on from a AI-driven battery management apps that we announced last quarter, we announced another application that we will, we will be built on Ivy. This new application enables in-vehicle payments 
and is being delivered through a partnership with CarIQ, a California-based startup. The application will use direct access to the sensor data and the edge compute, two of the IV's key differentiators, to produce a unique digital fingerprint for the photo vehicle. This will allow authentication of payments for items such as fuel, tolls, parking, surfaces, etc. Without the need of a fleet credit cards or other traditional payment methods. This opened up the possibility for OEM to participate in the new revenue streams and it's another of the many potential applications that IV will enable. In summary, IV continues to progress nicely. Now let me turn to cybersecurity. <clears throat> this quarter, the business unit delivered strong sequential billing and revenue growth. Revenue was 120 million. Growth margin came in at 59%. ARR was 364 million. Dollar-based net retention was 95%. As we mentioned earlier, John Gio Matteo will be joining BlackBerry to lead the cybersecurity business unit, taking over from Tom Ecobazzi, who was the acting general manager. John brings with him many years of cybersecurity industry experience. During his six years as president and chief revenue officer at McAfee, he delivered both double-digit growth and margin expansion for the enterprise, the SMB, as well as the consumer divisions. John will build on the progress that has been made in recent quarters with the cybersecurity business unit, go-to-market engine, and will also direct both product development and business unit strategy. Tom Ecobazzi has decided to pursue other opportunities and will leave BlackBerry at the end of October. The addition of John to the team completes the split of the software and services business into two market-focused business units, both IoT and cybers, are targeted with driving growth and with it shareholder value. The two business units will report directly to me. As mentioned, this was a good quarter. While there's still work for the team to do, there's a few outstanding areas that I feel that I'd like to share with you about. This quarter, we saw further growth in pipeline for our cybersecurity product, especially for the new local customers. Pipeline grew strongly for BlackBerry Gateway, our zero trust network access product, launch last quarter. To help realize this increased pipeline, investment in our direct sales source, in particular the hiring of quota-carrying sales head, continues. We're also making further progress to the channel, as illustrated by a 32% sequential growth in the channel billings this quarter. New partner program has also helped significantly increase both channel-driven pipeline generation and the new local buildings, mainly in the North America's arena. We also have seen robust growth in business through managed, service, managed security service providers, or MSSP. You may recall that during the Q2 earnings call a year ago, we targeted using MSSP, MSSSP sorry, to quickly scale our guarded managed service offering. Today, one of these partners, I'm happy to report, managed more than 100,000 endpoints using BlackBerry Cybers products. I'd like to take a closer look at some wins from the quarter that demonstrate why customers are, chose, are choosing BlackBerry for their cybersecurity needs. The first customer is one of the top 10 automakers in the world. This customer select our Protect EPP and Optics EDR solution following a competitive bake-off in which we went head-to-head -head with CloudStrike and CarbonBack. The customer selected BlackBerry due to our near 100% malware detection rate 
a lightweight engine, and flexible deployment options, both in the cloud as well as a standalone factory network. The second is the Fortune 100 financial services company. BlackBerry displays Microsoft Defender with Protec and Optics. The company select us particularly for our performance on Mac OS. The third is where we have continued success within the Australian state government agencies. This quarter we sold Protec, Optics, and our Threat Zero consulting services into a number of agencies, displacing predominantly legacy incumbents that included Trend Micro and Symantec. The customer chose BlackBerry for our next generation prevention first technology. On the industry recognition front, SE Lab, a leading independent research firm based in London, has performed a rigorous set of tests on our EPP and EDR products, Protect and Optics. This breach test differs from their quarterly endpoint tests. Rather than simply loading no malware onto an endpoint, which typically masks the inability of traditional signature-based vendors to prevent zero-day threats, the breach test includes, instead, applies real-time, real-world hacking tactics. They apply comprehensive techniques to evade our defense and concluded that Protect and Optics provide complete protection, prevention, complete detection, as well, as well as zero false positive. A link to the full report could be found on our investor relations webpage. This third-party validation of our product, not just our EPP, EPP, but also our EDR, demonstrate how we have successfully closed the product gap to competitors with recent product launches. The, mar the market is now recognizing some of the unique differentiated uh, abilities of our cyber products, one of which is the maturity of our AI engine. As in the previous quarters, we're seeing new malware and ransomware hitting the headline on an almost daily basis. Our AI engine, the most mature in the industry, continues to provide zero-day prevention against a host of these threats. In the quarter, our product successfully blocked new profile ransomware such as Hive, Lockbit, Ragnar Locker, and many more before they could do any damages. BlackBerry Silence AI engine is firmly focused on preventing our customer from being breached, whereas some of the leading competitors instead focus on showing customers all the ways that system, all the different ways that the system could be assessed. On the UEM front, we are continuing to invest in our roadmap, delivering enhancement that add, mo add, that add most values to customers. We recently announced that enterprise can now benefit from BlackBerry leading security while enjoying a seamless and native user experience with Microsoft 365 productivity apps. This is enabled by additional integration between BlackBerry UEM and Microsoft 365, primarily through the Azure Active Directory conditional assets. This is part of the latest version of the UEM U-Series, which was released this month, earlier this month, that is. U-Series also provides zero-day support for Android 12 and iOS 15. This past quarter, we secure important UEM renewals with government agencies such as IRS, the Department of Homeland Security, the U.S. Marine Corps, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, the U.K. Ministry of Defense, the U.S. United States Air Force, as well as leading enterprises such as General Dynamics and Magna. We also won a number of new logos, such as the French National Industry Institute, 
for criminal research and the Tel Aviv Stock Exchange. With continued growth in pipeline, coupled with investment in direct and channel sales, the outlook of the cybersecurity business units is for sequential building growth for the remaining of the fiscal year. This is expected to lead to modest sequential revenue growth due to the subscription model. The full year outlook remains as before at a lower end of 495 to 515 million dollars range. Turning now to licensing. <clears throat> as I mentioned earlier, negotiations to sell the portion of the patent portfolio related to mobile devices, messaging and wireless networking are ongoing and we have made significant progress since our last earnings call, including preliminary agreement of many of the key items of the key terms of the deal. We expect to execute a definitive agreement this quarter. Closing the transaction will be subject to a normal regulatory review. Normal, naturally, given this backdrop, we will continue to limit monetization activities for the remaining of this fiscal year. Therefore, revenue for both Q3 and Q4 is expected to be similar to Q2, which is at $10 million per quarter. While we expect the sales to conclude successfully, the process has taken longer than we expected or anticipated. Should it not conclude this quarter, we'll have other options, including additional interested parties. We will update investment on, the material, on any of the material developments in a timely manner. So let me now hand over to Steve to further review the financials. Steve? Thank you, John. Uh, my comments on our financial performance for the second quarter will be in non-GAAP terms unless otherwise noted. Uh, please refer to the supplemental table in the press release for the GAAP and non-GAAP details. We delivered second quarter total company revenue of 175 million. Second quarter total company gross margin was 65%. Our non-GAAP gross margin excludes stock compensation expense of 1 million. Second quarter operating expenses were 143 million. Our non-GAAP operating expenses exclude 32 million in amortization of acquired intangibles. 11 million in stock compensation expense, and 67 million fair value adjustment on the convertible debentures, which is a non-cash accounting adjustment prone to large swings driven by market and trading conditions. The second quarter non-GAAP operating loss was 30 million, and the second quarter non-GAAP net loss was 33 million. Non-GAAP earnings per share was a six cent loss in the quarter. Our adjusted EBITDA was negative 14 million this quarter, excluding the non-GAAP adjustments previously mentioned as we continue to invest in both our cyber and IoT businesses to drive top line growth. I will now provide a breakdown of our revenue in the quarter. Cybersecurity revenue was 120 million and IoT revenue was 40 million. Software product revenue remained in the range of 80 to 85% of the total with professional services comprising the balance. The recurring portion of software product revenue was approximately 80%. Licensing and other revenue was 15 million. As John mentioned, our IP monetization activities remain limited while negotiations for the potential sale continue. Now moving to our balance sheet and cash flow performance. Total cash, cash equivalents and investments were 772 million, 
as at August 31, 2021, an increase of $3 million during the quarter. Our net cash position increased to $407 million. Second quarter, free cash flow was $10 million. Cash generated from operations was $12 million, and capital expenditures were $2 million. That concludes my comments. I'll now turn it back to John. Um, thank you, Steve. <clears throat> Before we move to Q&A, I'd like to summarize this past quarter. I'm pleased with how the business performed, beating revenue expectations for all the businesses, and deliver a positive cash flow. The structure of the two market-focused business, software business units is already delivering results, and we're adding additional relevant industry experience. We're encouraged by the growth in cybersecurity pipeline and continue to invest in sales headcount. QNX design activities remains very strong, and we are weathering the impact of the chip shortage as well. We are now also making good progress with IP. And with that, I'd like Ashley, the operator, to open the line for Q&A, please. And we will now begin the question and answer session. To ask a question, you may press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are using a speakerphone, please make sure your line is unmuted. Again, press star 1 to ask a question. We'll pause for just a moment to allow everyone an opportunity to signal for questions. We request that you limit yourself to one question and one follow-up. Our first question today will be from Mike Walkley with Canaccord. Your line is open. Great. Hi, Mike. Thanks. Hi, hi John. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for all the updates and, and the guidance. Um, yeah, I guess my first question for you is your guidance arguably implies an aggressive second-half outlook just to reach the full-year guidance. Can you walk us through you know, what needs to go right for you to achieve that guidance or stronger second-half? Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you for the question. So there are some assumptions. That, let me break it down a little bit. Um, uh, licensing, of course, uh, we already explained, so I don't have to go in much detail of that. I think, you know, um, I think we're going to have $10 million a quarter for the next two quarters, for the second half, that is, each other quarter. Um, and that has something to do with the fact that we are, we're not going to monetize uh, or push on the monetization effort and licensing effort while we're going through this negotiation on selling the portion of the, of the, of the patents that is on those uh, areas of business that we're no longer actively involved with. Uh, regarding IoT, um, the only wild card, so to speak, is the chip shortage and the impact of that. Um, from all the indicators, you know, all the ups and downs and give and take, and we spoke to a lot of them, uh, the OEMs, um, that um, you know, North America seems to be getting better in Q3, Q4, um, as it compared to Q2. Uh, good, a good example would be, you know, Ford be, believe they could, they are improving, and uh, and GM also is, you know, although they're going to shut down uh, a couple of factories in Q3, but I think for my magnitude, it's improving uh, versus the first half of the year. So North America, you see it going back, improving in the situation. Um, Europe, however, still had about a 10 to 15 percent impact of the production, and so is Asia Pacific. Um, so, net of all that, um, if if we're in that range without any dramatic departure, then the numbers that 
that we expected in the second half still holds. Uh, and a big part of that, of course, is we are winning some very strong design wins that, that bring us uh, more developer seats, revenue, and then, as well as professional services revenue. So, so I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that. On cyber, it really is a function of one thing. I mean, I got two, two considerations in there. Uh, one thing, the major part is we have a, you know, a lot of salespeople join us in the last couple of two, three quarters. We have a pretty young um, pipeline. Um, the, back, the, uh, the, the, the activities in the pipeline has been very strong in the last quarter and two. So putting that together is actually a good thing, um, except that, you know, it might take time to ramp up. And so the rate of conversion of the pipeline with a newer sales force it's the only wild card, and it's something that we have to manage very carefully. But the good news there is, even if it takes longer, um, you know, these things, these business uh, don't tend to go away. So, so, so we're so that's the that's the assumption that we make um, in our forecast. The other one is in Q4, we got a couple of large government deals with some of the government, especially in North America. Uh, some of those needs to come to fruition, and those are the and then we expect them to. So those are those are the basis of our forecast. That yes, second half seems to be a, a bigger number, uh, you know, a, a stronger number than Q the first half. That's correct. Great, thank you. And, and just just my follow up question. You know, congrats on adding uh, John Giametto to the team. Um, is he going to run kind of the same playbook that was getting put in place for all the team, or? Do you expect further changes with the rotation of such a key, key position? And did that impact your guidance thoughts at all? It's slightly early to tell, but I, I'm dying to hear his experience of growth because he was being able to grow uh, both the consumer business and the enterprise business as McAfee when he was running the, uh, you know, he was the president of McAfee and the CRO. So I'm sure he will make some changes. I, I'm doubtful that you know everything will remain exactly the same. On the other hand, um, you know the, the 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 investment that we made in channel, the investment we made in pipeline, the investment we make in partners, uh, in engineering, and the investment we make in hiring more sales at, um, and we have a, a a couple of quarters ago we hired a pretty good um, uh, head of professional services. I, I'm sure that he will take full advantage of those. Great. Thanks for taking my questions. All right. Thank you. Your next question comes from Daniel Chen with TD Securities. Your line is open. Hey, Daniel. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. Uh, you mentioned um, earlier that typically your Q&X revenue has a higher mix of royalty versus development. Should we mm -hmm. expect a higher mix of development for the next couple years as electronics and software development become ramped up at a lot of these OEMs? I think you should expect um, um, probably for this year. Uh, and uh, I think I don't think in the future years it will continue to be the same. The reason I say this is because, remember, I should be seeing some of the production revenue coming from ADOS, assuming the part shortages uh, issue uh, started to improve, I and mean, it has to improve over time. You know, it's a huge industry, um, uh, and semiconductor 
for the whole semiconductor industry, auto is not really that big. It's not 100%. Obviously, it's, it's probably like more like 15% of the of the of the of the market. So it will it will address that. And 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 so I I expect that our royalty rate to go back into some kind of growth, especially with all the design wins that we had in the last couple of two three years. Okay, that's helpful. Can you remind us how you sell these development seats? Is it more like a perpetual license, or is there a, um, a recurring proportion a portion to that as well? Uh, it's, it's more like a perpetual license. It's selling seats. Okay, and and do you kind of get like a twenty percent maintenance? Um... Yeah, yeah, we get up, upgrade and maintenance on it. Yes. Okay. Uh, one more, if I may. Cybersecurity sure. ARR was um, flat sequentially. Um, while you've been saying that the pipeline's been growing, just just wondering mm -hmm. when we're going to start seeing that metric uh, start to take up, or whether there's some seasonality built into um, the current quarters. Yeah, that's 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 good. That's good. That's good question. Um, I ask that question also, and they always take give me the product mix answer. That uh, um, some of them we took, you know, earlier uh, upfront because of refrac policy. Uh, I I expect for this full sales, and I said it in the past, by the way, so it's very consistent. Mid-year or next year is where I'm going to see, uh, I'm going to see some, hoping to see some strong growth of all the investment we have made, the pipeline going, the new sales, and so forth. Okay, thank you. Sure. Your next question comes from Paul Triber with RBC Capital Markets. Your line is open. Hi there. Oh, hi, John. I, hi. First question on, on the, the patent sale. I, I know you can't say much, uh, just given you're in the middle of negotiations, but you, you, your, your statement, you mentioned that the negotiations are going well, but then you also indicated that if it doesn't close, you have other options. Just, you know, could you bridge between those two statements? Because they're yeah. actually quite, you know, far apart from a tone perspective. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good one. I'm glad you caught it. Yes, it is going well. I fully expect to finish this this quarter, but I'm tired of waiting. Um, I, I know I know a lot of our investors are too. Um, you know, I, it just it's, it, it, I'm not blaming anything on anybody. And maybe we have too many lawyers assigned to this. Sorry, lawyers. I doubt you know. But um, the key is, you know, it, it's a it, it's a complex and big portfolio. Um, it is rightfully so that they have done a lot of due diligence. Um, and those things are now completed, by the way. All the due diligence are completed. And then we have a lot of time spent on definitive agreement negotiation. And then by and large, with, with the exception of one or two items, we're, we're done with that. Uh, and then, you know, then we have the purchase agreement. And so it just, um, you know, for me, it's been since last Christmas. Um, you know, it's coming up to next Christmas. So I, I basically kind of draw the line in the sand and say, I, I can't just stop licensing the business, you know, needs to either move on one direction or the other. Um, and then there are other interests the party have been calling. Um, and so we, we are not entertaining them because, as you recall, during a, uh, during a period of time not long in the past, uh, we were in exclusive discussion with these people. So, so I can't really entertain a third party. So my only point is, is if you want to put percentage, weighing percentage, I put 80-20. I put 80%, we get it done this quarter. Does that help? 
Yeah, that's that's very helpful. Um, I wasn't going to answer a percentage, but I'm glad you threw it out. Um, <laughs> switching back to the to the to the business, um, you know, just in regards to, to 24 out of 25 EV OEMs, you know, how do we think about the the magnitude or size? you know, of these wins? Like, do you find, like, EVs, the, the ASP is higher than a, uh, a, a gasoline uh, vehicle? Is that what you're seeing generally? No, usually the ASP ties to functionality. Um, um, you, know, you know, if you look at um, functionality like IVI, you know, it's usually low single-digit dollars per, per royalty. Um, but if you look at uh, ADOS and clusters, they are usually high single digit pushing into double digit per car. So it's not gasoline versus uh, electric vehicle. Um, and so the electric vehicle had one advantage, which is very, which is a, in a more component of highly complex ECUs. When you have highly complex ECU, it does two things for us. Number one, um, because we have the highest certification in security and safety, um, when you have a high complex uh, ECU, uh, like a computer engine in a car, they tend to go after that most secure and most uh, most safe uh, uh, production uh, uh, product. So we have a edge or an advantage to win it. That's number one. Um, number two, number two, they used to they tend to use very complex algorithm, and that will help us uh, sometimes selling more than even one copy uh, for for a ECU. So, um, and when you sell these complex ECUs um, and with ADOS or clusters or hypervisor, typically the ASP is on a higher, on a higher end. So, so it's really more function that drive ASP versus uh, EV or gas. Okay, that's helpful. And then one follow-up. It seems like BlackBerry QNX has uh, good traction in the Chinese EV market. Could you speak to like does the pricing for that market is it materially different than uh, than than other uh, OEMs or other geographies for QNX? No, not 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 materially different. So, so also other things you, you know you need to be aware of that a lot of those Chinese uh, players actually have design center in the United States. So, so the market price. Is the market price, you know, because they're all, a lot of them are all in the U.S. But of course, we have a Chinese team and and, and deal with the, the customers over there and the factories over there and and so forth. But uh, they're not materially different. Okay, thank you. I'll pass the line. Sure. Your next question comes from Todd Coupland with CIBC. Your line is open. Hello there. Hey there, John. Nice to talk to you. Um, I'll follow up on the EV uh, line of questioning. So that 25th OEM, which you don't have, uh, they're always <laughs> bringing out new vehicles, uh, many, many uh, uh, new vehicles that are selling well and at lower prices, et cetera. Uh, what are the chances of you getting into that OEM? My team promised me, it's right up and down there working it, uh, and so um, – I, I, I'm hopeful, but I, um, the fact that they typically like to do uh, complete vertical integrations, um, you know, it, it, it would still require work from us. Um, but but 
but we're working it. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then also on the on the patent sale, um, there's been press articles that in the in the trade press that you more or less have settled on a, a price, and it was really the complexity of a, a, a the, all the participants in a uh, I guess a buyer's group, if you will. Uh, uh, any uh, any comments on 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 whether that is indeed correct, and and it really is these these details with the various parties that uh, has yet to get worked out. Thanks a lot. I can't I can't comment on ongoing negotiations because it doesn't help me whatsoever. Um, I would say to you that um, that we have we have settled on the price. Uh, that I would agree. Uh, I, I would confirm uh, everything else I can really comment on. No okay. problem. All right. That's great. Appreciate the color. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your next question comes from Paul Speed with Scotia. Your line is open. Hi there. Hi, John. Um, so two quick ones. Uh, the first one, Maybe talk to us about how you're thinking about monetizing Ivy and how those thoughts have evolved, and then I'll toss out my quick follow-ups. I'm sorry, how do I monetize Ivy? Ivy. Ah, Ivy. Um, okay, well, there's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a work in progress, but I have a lot of ideas. Um, first of all, I wanted something that are usage-based and recurring-based, uh, and that's the revenue model. And, and, and if you look at what IV really is, um, you know, it's a collector of sensor data, uh, the ability to analyze it, push it on the edge, put it on the cloud, apply AI to it, and feed it back to the OEM or application providers. Um, and one of the reasons why we spent so much time on the application side, uh, a quarter ago we have a intelligent battery management systems, you know, for performance and, and, and for um, managing Anything regarding to, related to a battery and the usage of it, um, and and this past quarter we we turn our attention to have an application that turn the turn your vehicle into a wallet basically, um, and and it's a huge market for those of you who follow this uh, because the fleet cars uh, as well especially the trucks and the you know the Amazon delivery trucks or the FedEx or US, UPS or or cargoes, or uh, you know, commercial trucks. Um, they, they, they. If we get equipped with Ivy, um, there's tons of sensing data uh, between security and productivity, uh, and, and uh, the ability to um, not having to use a third party to do payment and so forth are all very positive and cost-effective solution from the truck owner and the truck runners. Um, the also, as I mentioned earlier, the OEM has always also find, tried to find ways to enrich their source of revenue after they sold the car. Um, and this would, this could, ID may be able to uh, facilitate some of these applications. So, so that's kind of where I'm really focused on, you know, to create usage base, whether it's app base uh, or functional base, um, um, you know, use cases. Uh, and in some cases, I could share with third parties, I could share with banks, I could share the revenue with OEMs, and these are all possibilities. So that's, that's how we focus on monetizing IP. Great, thanks. The, the two quick follow-ups, I guess, for yourself or Steve. 
first one would just relate to your commentary about continuing to invest in Salesforce. Should we think of the numbers that you've sort of added this quarter in aggregate dollars sort of reflective throughout the remainder of the year? And then the other sort of clarification, not asking you about a pending transaction, but if a patent business didn't exist at the BlackBerry, how should we think about stranded cost in the SG&A line, or is it effectively pure profit that we just see, you know, maybe move off if that business was not to, to be there? Thank you. That's good. That, that's that's a very good question. Um, uh, I, I I need to get clarification on the first question. What was the? Can you repeat your first question? Yeah, you, you talked about adding more sales headcount. I'm just sort of mm-hmm. looking at the pacing of what you've done in terms of investment. Is that already sort of in the envelope, or you're thinking about, you know, stepping on the gas mm-hmm. a lot harder in your EV as you continue to win deals? Right, right. I um, we have made a that's <laughs> quite a good question. Uh, so as you all know me, um, that this. I've been here for seven years, and I've always been focused on making money, uh, running a profitable business. And and um, and so, uh, on the other hand, in the last year, uh, I have recognized that the business needs the investment to step on the gas. You used the word, um, and so uh, for the time being, for the you know, and we have done that in the last two quarters or three quarters. But for the time being, I'm not going to be so focused on on loss versus profit. Um, as long as you know it's manageable, meaning that it's not going to be outrageous and it's not going to kill a lot of my cash or burn a lot of my cash, uh, then we are going to step on the gas and continue hiring and continue increase. And the idea is, um, since we now have the product and we could generate the pipeline, if I could close the pipeline. Uh, with more, you know, feet on the streets and channel partners and and so forth, um, it will help me help me grow the business, and then that will then create the profit that I needed to offset a very profitable uh, source of revenue, which was licensing. So, and and licensing, as you all know, uh, I'm not getting the valuation of the licensing um, uh, at the at least the recognition of my stock price. And partly because it's a slumpy, and a lot of you have expressed that you, you actually don't know how to measure and value that, and you don't know how to think about the growth part of it. So that that's all fair. Uh, so so I believe that while while we could while we have very fresh set of portfolios um, with good average lifespan left in the portfolio, that we should monetize it one time, take that proceeds to step on the gas, and then invest into a cyber business, which we know there's a high growth, and we know we caught up in, in uh, the product gap, and, and then also enhance the growth of IoT and, and invest in IV, which is, a, which is a future revenue source, which could, could, could be significant, and we have a great partner in Amazon there. So, so those are all, I believe, a positive you know, value creation for, for BlackBerry. That helps. Thank you. Sure. That concludes the Q and A session. I would like to turn the call back over to John Chen, Executive Chair and CEO of BlackBerry, for closing remarks. 
Okay, well, thank you, Ashley. Um, and I thank everybody for joining us uh, today. And uh, before I end the call, I'd like to remind you that we actually have our eighth annual BlackBerry Security Summit hosted virtually on October 13th. Uh, the event will feature a live and on-demand section, including keynotes, addresses from BlackBerry Executive, customer-led case study, insight from, you know, into the cybersecurity and IoT technology landscape. It's free to register for all of you, and if you haven't already, and I encourage you to do so. Uh, otherwise, a replay of the event will also be available through our investor relation uh, website. Uh, thanks again, and see you next time. Well, I hope to see you in person sometime. Take care. This concludes today's call. Thank you for your participation. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.